Look after your brain and look after your friends' brains. Welcome to Agency for Change, a podcast from Kid Glove that brings you the stories of changemakers who are actively working to improve our communities. In every episode, we'll meet with people who are making a lasting impact in the places we call home. So who out there loves to snow ski or snowboard? If you do, you've probably been faced with the question of whether or not to wear a helmet. You know you should. It's an important part of protecting your head during accidents and collisions that could occur while zipping down the mountain. Yet helmets just don't look cool and they're rarely comfortable to have on your head for a day-long outing. This, though, is where a new company comes into the picture. Anti-Ordinary is a startup that is introducing the next generation in brain protection because they decided your brain needs more. More comfort, more style, and most importantly, more safety. Hey, everyone. This is Lynn Weinman, President and Chief Strategist at Kid Glove. Welcome to another episode of the Agency for Change podcast. Today's guest is Rob Joseph, founder of Anti-Ordinary, who has developed a new and exciting product to protect the brains of skiers and snowboarders. Rob, welcome to the podcast. G'day, Lynn. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. And let's just start by having you tell us about this exciting new product you've developed. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm from a company called Anti-Ordinary, and we make skiing and snowboarding helmets that are more like beanies. So they, they fit better, they feel better, um, they look much better, in my opinion, at least, and, and they're really safe as well. So, uh, so just to clarify, though, is it a beanie that acts like a helmet or a helmet that looks like a beanie? It's somewhere in between the two. It's like both, but not the exact same as either. So um, we're sort of creating a new category of brain protection. It, it shouldn't really sit within either. It's certified as a helmet. So it's the, you know, it's got the safest drop test results of any helmet we've ever seen. But the fit and feel is is more akin to you know a beanie and, and becoming more and more like that every single day. You know, as someone who has kids who have had trouble with concussions, I really, really appreciate the work that you're doing because protecting your brain is a pretty important thing, particularly in a sport like snowboarding or skiing. Absolutely. I'm not the same. I, I grew up, you know, riding motorbikes and mountain bikes and I've had plenty of brain injuries. And it's something as action sports people we don't talk about anywhere near enough. And that's why helmets haven't gotten a whole lot better in a long time. The market's moved really slowly in terms of technology and it, it's not great. And that's why I wanted to change it because you get two arms, two legs, but only one brain. And once the damage is done there, it's pretty tough. So we're, we're trying to make it all a bit more accessible, a bit safer and you know, happier for everyone on the mountain. I love that mantra. You get two arms, you get two legs, but only one brain. That's That's a good one. So I am really curious as a marketer, I have to ask about the name of your company. Tell me about how you came about with this name, The Anti-Ordinary. Yeah, it was one of those serendipitous ones. We didn't really spend a lot of time thinking about it, I suppose. It was just one of those ones that just popped up and it was right. Right. It was early on too. It comes from, it's anti-ordinary and it comes from the idea that ordinary is just the everyday. It's okay. And extraordinary is the everyday stuff done really well. 
but we didn't really want to be every day at all. We wanted to be the opposite of that. So we became anti-ordinary and it's, you know, it's not the same as everyone else. It's different. And, and sometimes it's not for everybody. You know, the, the, the leaps that we're making in technology and the product and the way that we conduct ourselves is, is different and, and, and different good. But sometimes it takes people a little while to adjust and, and you sort of point back to the name and go, it's okay. Not everyone's anti-ordinary. Everyone is ordinary, but, but not everyone's anti-ordinary. Yeah, that's okay. It, it feels like pure genius to me, Rob. So congratulations <laughs> on that name. So tell me a bit. I love hearing people's founder stories. So you started as a, an action adventure person, but what led you down this path? How did you come up with the idea? Yeah, it's a bit of a convergence of a few different things. I grew up in sort of southeast Queensland in Australia, sort of where Steve Irwin's from, where it's nice and warm. Grew up riding motorbikes, mountain bikes, wakeboarding, all that kind of thing. And I was doing, I ended up studying medical engineering at university, or my dad's an, an engineer and a very good one. And I was lucky enough to sort of learn from him. And, and so I decided to get into medical engineering as, as I got into university. And so I'd never really snowboarded before till I turned 16. It was my first ever time. Um, and then again, when I was at university at 17 and um, I was riding one day and I was used to wearing helmets. You know, I was a medical engineer, I'm a reasonably intelligent guy, particularly around, you know, the body and safety and that kind of thing and, and being an action sports person. And I've always worn a helmet, never had a problem with it, riding bikes and wakeboards and that kind of thing. Uh, and then I got to the snow and I wore the same helmet that I was given to ride in competitions with you know, it, wakeboarding, yeah. the same helmet with me. And the thing just annoyed me. I just hated wearing it. It, it was uncomfortable to bounce around because your head sort of moves. Yeah, you know, It changes a lot, different temperatures and the way that you use it. And so for me and the gloves and the goggles, I've just never been more annoyed by it. And, and it got to the point where I guess the bravado of being a 17-year-old man <laughs> or boy um, and you know, being a bit, thinking I was a bit better than I was and, and I was in New Zealand and and took the helmet off, thought I was pretty cool, it was really comfortable then, and then had a pretty hard crash. And yeah. not long after that, I, I realized how dumb it was to not wear a helmet, but also realized how much I didn't want to wear one, and, and sort of had a bit of a look around and realized that everyone who wasn't wearing a helmet wore a beanie, and even a lot of people who were wearing helmets wore beanies anyway. And, and we sort of then had a bit of a look at the way that helmet technology had been going, and, and quite sadly, for a long time, it hadn't really changed much. And so we, instead, we thought, well, instead of trying to make – a helmet more comfortable, why don't make a beanie more safe and come at it from that angle? And, and to do that, you know, I was 20 at the time um, when we first started and, wow. and it was something that, that took a long time. So we thought it was going to be much easier. But I remember it was January, we sort of kicked it all off and I said, oh, we'll have samples by May. And we had samples by May four years later. <laughs> so it was... Yeah. But we, you know, we had to invent a lot of stuff to make it happen. Um, it doesn't work anywhere near what a traditional helmet does you know, underneath. It's groundbreaking in a lot of ways. And I'm really proud of it. And But it did take a long time to, to sort of get there. And now we're here and we're happy with the way it fits and feels and looks. And the safety itself is, is, is speaks for itself. It's better than any other drop test results we've ever seen from any other helmet. That's amazing. You know, Rob, I started skiing. I, I'm quite a bit older than you. I started skiing before we wore helmets. We didn't wear helmets skiing. And then when I introduced my kids to skiing, they had to wear a helmet. And then one day my husband said, hey, you're making the kids wear helmets. Why aren't you wearing one? It's like, well, because it's ugly and it'll mess up my hair. <laughs> and but I finally succumbed to wearing a helmet too, but I hated every minute of it. So I, I'm excited to I'm excited to try out the anti-ordinary process. So a bit ago, you gave us just a glimpse into the process. You started when you were 20. It took a little bit longer than you thought. But can you give us a bit more? Like what has it taken to get the product to this point? 
Yeah, it's been quite an incredible journey. One, manufacturing just generally, but two, manufacturing something that's so new and so different. Uh, we started off, I remember my younger sister, the original concept was a non-Newtonian material, which starts off soft and turns hard when you impact it. And we wanted ah. to build a whole helmet out of that. And so I remember there's a, a way that you can, you know, home make some non-Newtonian material and it's the cornstarch and water. And I remember making some of that up and sort of running around and getting my sister to hit me. And and, and it sort of worked <laughs> and it was, it was good enough. And my, my sister and everyone seems to love that part of the process where, where they go to smack me over the head. And we sort of started to realize it would work. And, and we went through this big design process of just using just, just non-Newtonian materials. And then we, we realized it was going to be too heavy. Um, the safety element was going to be a little bit interesting uh, and very different in a lot of regards. And just building a unit that could be impenetrable as well by, by sharp objects was really tough with just non-Newtonian materials. On top of that, a really interesting part of the process is finding a manufacturer. Yeah. We tried really hard to build in Australia. We just couldn't get anyone to sort of take the job. And we sort of had money in our pocket ready to go at the time. But then so we, we went to the manufacturers in China and most helmets come out of the same four factories or three factories in China over there. All the big brands that you know and love uh, come from the same factories, pretty much our ones come out of. And, and so we went to them and said, hey, can you build this? And they go, no, absolutely not. And, you know, <laughs> wow. And, and we go, oh, no, that's a bit of an issue. And so... And this, this was, you know, we did a Kickstarter well after this, so we decided all, all that. And then, so we went to, we went and spoke to the factories and said, okay, so what can you build? And so we just sort of, we had to make a decision as to whether we went with a manufacturer who could build the things we were looking to build with, or we went with a helmet manufacturer who couldn't. Yeah. And we decided to go with the helmet manufacturer because they had all the expertise, all the drop testing rigs, all the engineers who've been building every helmet in the world for yeah. the last you know, 30 years. And so we thought, well, it's better to stay with the expertise. And so what we had to do was then adapt the design into something they could build. It became complex. And, and from an engineering perspective, it was quite the feat to get it to where it ended up being. But we got there. And, and now from the non-Newtonian you know, prototypes we had to the unit we have now, which is a little bit more plasticky, slightly more rigid, but in terms of the fit and feel on the head, it's better. And in terms of safety, it's much better as well and looks are, are very much the same. So that's part of the process. And, and it took... You know, the best part of three or four years to get that right because it, it, it's hard to build something. It's easy to build something that moves and is flexible and yeah. it's easy to build something that's safe. But combining the two is really tough in, in such a way that it's safe enough to go on people's heads. And And the thing we always started off with was that it could never be unsafe. It, the safety had to be paramount, but we had to find a way to make that work with the flexibility and the way we wanted to look and that kind of thing. And it was really complex. And then, of course, COVID hit. Changed everything for all of us, Yeah. Everything, you know, and we were in China, actually. We were in the airport the same day as the first Australian COVID case. Whoa. And we, we somehow missed it. And that was back, you know, it was in March. And yeah. we had no idea what was going on. We, we both came home and just continued living our lives. And it could have been really scary. But um, what was really scary, but the thing was, is because we were manufacturing in China and, and doing the, all this prototyping, normally we just go there and look at it and they'd they right. make a design change. We'd go through, we'd test it, we'd check it out. It would break we'd fix it and that would be fine. But because we couldn't get to China and we're all locked down, they'd build it, test it, and then send us photos and videos. And they'd send us the unit over, we'd inspect it, have to look at it and send it back. And so it turned what was a two or three day process into four or five weeks. And we yeah. had to make countless changes throughout that process. And it was just, it, it was brutal, honestly. And from that time, from a business perspective as well, investment was impossible to get, particularly for a snow sports company from the hot part of Australia. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was a really, a real bunker down type situation, but we made it through. We kept persisting. 
and uh, yeah, and then it got to the stage where the final prototypes came out and they were they were great. And now we've sort of done our first couple of runs. The first Australian run sold out very fast. Um, and the American run's done the same. And we're delivering Kickstarter units as well at the same time, which is good too. And um, yeah, it's just in a point now where we're really happy. But it was, it's been six years and, and it's felt like six years as well. Wow. Wow. Rob, I hope you're documenting this because I've recently read the book Shoe Dog, which is the, I don't know if you've read it. It's the Phil Knight and Nike story, but there seem to be some parallels, right? The the rubber and the waffle iron and your sister like hitting you over the head. I think there's there's some parallels. So someday I want to read your book. I hope you'll ping me when it's when it's available. Uh, so Rob, what was the most surprising part of that of that journey that you went through? Was it the time? Was it COVID? Was it the manufacturing? I'm sure there are so many things. So many things. So many things. It, it's yeah. It, there's been so many things that have been just wild. I never thought building something, you know, manufacturing something, would be so difficult and, and change so much and a little fiddly things. But I guess one of the biggest surprising things is just our ability to do it. I guess. Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm a, a boy from Brisbane. Yeah, you know, I got kicked out of university while I started this company because I didn't do enough classes in time. <laughs> um, so I'm most of an engineer officially. Now I'm here in America. I'm meeting just the most incredible people. I'm worlds away from where I was and we've built the best ski helmet in the world. And I suppose that's the, the most surprising thing for us is just the ability that we were with a lot of persistence and a lot of hard work, we yeah. were able to do it. And something that people said was impossible. And still often uh, I've got an email this morning saying, hey, you guys are scammers. This can't be true. And, you know, you go, I'll send you one. Yeah. Because it's real. And so I guess that's the, the surprising thing. And, and we meet a lot of people on the journey, a lot of those startups and founders, and, and they go, they mimic a similar thing. It's similar to the shoe dog thing, not to compare myself to Phil Knight, of course. <laughs> um, would be good one day. But just the, the impossibility of everything that people perceive is not necessarily correct. And if you want to persevere, and everything's possible, I suppose. I do think perseverance at all costs is the story of the entrepreneur, I, I believe. And I, I hear that in your story as well. So, you started in Australia. You do some work in the States. You're manufacturing in China. Like, how has that distance and that travel impacted the process also? Uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, in a lot of ways, you know, Brisbane, Australia is, or Queensland, Australia is a great place to start a business. The, the people are friendly. We know it well. Um, the networks are quite easy to tap into. And, and, and it's a great community there. And similar to, you know, your Salt Lake cities and your Deborah's, it's quite similar. Access to capital is tough in Australia, particularly for a company like ours. Um, early stage, your hardware companies, first-time founders in an industry that people are aware of but don't realize it's $17 billion yeah. wide and then $42 right. billion wide for cycle helmets. Yeah. Um, so that convincing is really hard. And American people just get it. You, you put the helmet on people's heads and they go, oh, I get it. Whereas in, in Australia, they sort of go, oh, this is an interesting product, but you know, you know I don't really... And it, there's a lot of benefits to being in both places and uh, China as well. Time zones are tough. Um, yeah. you know, having calls at three o'clock in the morning back home in Australia um, and then staying up till midnight to catch up with Australia when you're over here and then China being two hours different to the Australian time zone too. And also one of the biggest, I, I guess, steps in all of it for me was the, the volume of, of money and people out here. Like, Australia is as, as big in terms of surface area as America is you know, from Mexico to Canada. They're, they're, they're pretty comparable in terms of size. But Australia has the equivalent of something like three and a half New York cities. Yeah, And so just the volume of, of people and money and accessibility and, and sport and, you know, that kind of thing. There's probably more people on, in a Vail resort than there are that ski in Australia on any given day. And, and that's one of the biggest adaptations is, you know, sometimes in Australia you tend to sort of 
go, be a bit more modest. And we, we like modest people in Australia. We like our athletes, modest, that kind of thing. You come to America and you go, no, this could be a billion dollar company. And yeah. you go, yeah, it could. And you go, great. We all believe this. Yeah, I don't people know, nod their heads and say, yes. To, you know, yeah. The big dream. Show me the right? numbers and you show them the numbers. And go, yeah, great. That works. Yeah, That's awesome. exactly. And so dream a bit bigger and, and that scale and the size of money here is, is a big adaptation, but it's, it's a fun one. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I saw on your website and I think on the box also for the helmet that sustainability has been a consideration in your journey. Can you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important. And for companies in this day and age, I'm sure um, you know with all your experience, And for companies, it's really hard to backtrack into sustainability and equality and those kind of things. And for a big company, if you're going to give up 10% of your revenue for, for equality or, or environmental purposes, what 10% of your staff are you cutting or what 10% of your costs are you cutting? And it's really hard. But as, as a startup in this day and age, we're really lucky that we get to build a business and, and revenue and income streams around doing the right thing and yeah. we can present that to investors and go hey this is great and so for us doing the right thing has always been paramount you know anti-ordinary we want to be a good company that people are proud to work for and to, to ride in and wear the shirt and so for us when we're looking at helmets helmets unfortunately they're built with materials that aren't necessary that don't break down you know a lot of long chain polymers it's tough and but they're all totally recyclable and so we knew that we couldn't build the thing we wanted to build if we wanted to build recycled products, so if we wanted to build in products that break down naturally, it's just currently not possible from a technology perspective. Right. But we can recycle them and go, okay, great. So we won't focus on the materials so much. We'll focus on what we do with them directly afterwards. And so our goal is to recycle as many helmets as we sell. And that we can tie that into a great campaign because luckily our market is very you know socially eco-conscious. And so what we can do is, and, and we're a direct-to-consumer company. Our helmets fit everyone, so they show up and they, they just fit. And so we can sell online, which allows us to keep a bit of margin in that, that we can go, hey, we can give you a bit of money if you send us a helmet, we'll recycle it for you, and then you know, you'll get a bit of helmet off, a bit of units, a bit of cost off one of ours. And so that attracts new customers. It brings the old customers back. It's a business model that can't really be replicated by other big incumbent companies because you know that's a revenue, part of the revenue they just couldn't make back up. But for us, we can do that. And we've built that into our model of, hey, this is a, a good thing, but also can help us attract new customers, can keep old ones, as well as doing the right thing for, for all of us. And, and it allows our company to do, you know, to offset the thing that we do to a point where we can make a material that's a little bit more um, environmentally friendly. But until then, we can use the labour and one, one day the dream is to have it come full circle where we have enough material for recycling helmets that we can then build something else, you know, be it sunglasses or goggles or something, and we keep it all in-house and, and we create another product stream out of entirely recycled products. And that's that's the dream. I like the way you dream, Rob. That is a really exciting dream and sounds like a very smart, very smart marketing strategy as well. So for our snowboarders and skiers out there or just anybody who's listening and goes, wow, this is really interesting. How do they find the product? Uh, www.antiordinary.co is our website. That's the easiest way. There's, there's a place to sign up. There's a place you can buy them. Um, we're just about all sold out for this season anyway. But yeah, we always love interacting and people with cool ideas and people who you know want to represent or take photos or something. We're always going to collaborate and, and chat to cool people. So I'd love for people to reach out. 
Fantastic. We will get that in the show notes on the Kid Glove website too, in case anybody didn't get it, but it is .co and not .com. So we make sure we get you there as well. All right, Rob, I'm going to ask you a totally different question now. And it's actually my favorite question because people who listen to the podcast know that I am inspired by motivational quotes. You are a motivational and inspiring guy with an inspiring story. Can you give us an original anti-ordinary quote for our listeners? I'm not sure if it's original, but I've been saying this for a while. So I don't know if it's popped into my head or, or I've heard it somewhere and coined it as my own. But a big one is luck is made and serendipity is found. Ooh. And uh, I think you get a lot of people and you, you get to a certain point of doing this stuff. And go, oh, you're so lucky. Yeah. You know? Yeah, but I sort of worked for all this. I, I, you know, I wasn't lucky on my couch when I was there six years ago. You sort of got to go, go out and get it. And I think luck is very much a product of risk and effort. And you've got to be willing to go out there and risk it all and, and put all the effort in. And same with serendipity. You don't get serendipity you know, sitting on the couch. You've got to get up and find it. And the more you get up there, the more you try, the more effort you put in, the more you risk, the more you find these lucky things. And yeah. um, that's that's been sort of a, a common theme throughout my entire journey so far. And, something I'm really grateful for. That is so good. Luck is made. Serendipity is found, right? Luck is made. Serendipity is found. I like that because I bet anybody who says you're lucky doesn't know how many late nights, early mornings, long flights, financial risks, personal risks, all the things, all the things that go into it. So I appreciate you for that. Rob, I have loved meeting you. I've loved getting to talk with you and to see see your product. As we wrap up our time together today, what is the most important thing you would like our listeners to remember about the work that you're doing? Look after your brain and look after your friends' brains. We know a lot more now about the way that these brain injuries, and even the, the small impacts affect us later on. And for a long time, we've always thought, Hey, you know, this CTE thing or, or an athlete gets a little bit older and you start getting a little bit sad, a little bit more quiet, but you keep an eye on your friends. Make sure that it could be the effects of a degenerative brain disease that we get from impacting our heads in these sports. And it's inevitable. It doesn't matter if you're playing football, soccer, rugby, snowboarding, running motorbikes. It's inevitable. But the more we talk about it, the more we can fix it, the more we can be aware of it, and the safer all of us and our friends' brains are going to be. That is profound. Look after your friends' brains. That should be a new mantra for everyone. Rob, I fully believe the world needs more people like you, more companies like Anti-Ordinary. Thank you for taking time to share with us today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. We hope you enjoyed today's Agency for Change podcast. To hear all our interviews with those who are making a positive change in our communities or to nominate a changemaker you'd love to hear from, visit kidglove.com at K-I-D-G-L-O-V.com to get in touch. As always, if you like what you've heard today, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.